Hi there, this is Linda Hill and it's the 26th of February 2015 where I am in Australia. Now I've had a story that's been running around in my head and uh, it's funny I've been so reticent to tell it and yet in the last uh, 24 or so hours I have, it's just been almost overwhelming me and I feel that I really want to uh, share this with you guys. It's one of those things where you wonder whether there's, um, <clears throat> excuse me, whether it's that um, wise to share this story, I'm interested in getting the throat thing, <coughs> excuse me, whether it's so wise to share this story and then I wonder whether it's so wise not to because it's so incredible. And I guess I should just start at the beginning and I hope you guys can keep up with me. Now look, if you're, if you're somebody who's afraid of ghosts and this is going to give you those weird nightmares at night, then um, maybe just turn it off and don't listen to it. I really don't want people writing to me and saying, oh, you know, you caused me to have nightmares. It's not a nightmare story, although some people would, um, would find it a little bit disturbing in some way. Anyway, it's not, it's not, to me it's not disturbing, but I am a Scorpio with a very strong uh, Pluto. So here goes. Well, it's hard for me to know exactly where to start, but I think I'll start with when I was up at the Blue Mountains. Oh, I've got a little cottage up at the Blue Mountains, and um, I've worked very hard to keep this little cottage. It means a great deal to me. Uh, it's in uh, quite a incredibly strong Aboriginal um, sacred ground in Katoomba. It's 400 metres, or very close to, the Three Sisters, which has a very strong Aboriginal heritage. And uh, there can be some very uh, strange and amazing and sometimes dark energies that emerge from there. <coughs> Excuse me. Interesting, I'm having to clear my throat. Anyway, uh, it's, you know, it's, um, hmm, it's pretty amazing. I mean, there's been many nights where I've been up there. I don't get it anymore because I seem to have banished it. But uh, there were many nights where I'd be standing somewhere and I'd get this feeling of, of a spirit nearby me or someone visiting me. <clears throat> and uh, I'm amusing myself with the throat clearing at this point. And I, uh, yeah, so I, I've banished that. But what was happening was that I was getting these uh, strange feelings of visitation, like the hairs rising on the back of your neck. And, um, and one thing that would come to mind, this is like 10 years ago or something, one thing that would come to mind was the expression, no dead people, don't send any dead people. I don't want to see dead people. And, um, and uh, I always amuse myself with that. But um, one time I was driving up the street in Katoomba and I was thinking about Elsie Wheeler, the woman who did the amazing uh, Sabian symbol. She was who did the amazing experiment in 1925 with Mark Edmund Jones in the park in San Diego and gave birth to the uh, Sabian symbols. She was a spiritualist medium and she, um, she didn't know what she was doing when she was giving birth to the Sabian symbols. I mean, it was a double-blind uh, experiment. Mark Edmund Jones, this is in 1925. And Mark Edmund Jones, would, uh, he had 360 white, uh, 3 inch by 5 inch uh, uh, index cards. And on the back of each one, he wrote a degree of the zodiac, starting at Aries 1, all the way through to Pisces 30. That's 360. And he would shuffle the cards and put... Um, one in front of her completely at random and neither he nor she would see what the degree of the zodiac was. Besides which, I'm 900% certain that she didn't know really anything about the zodiac anyway. So even if she'd seen that it said Virgo 5 or something, um, I don't think she would have um, 
been able to know enough about the zodiac to make it up. So this was completely at random. He'd write, you know, the phrase that she saw in her mind's eye and he'd, he'd discard that card and he'd shuffle the cards, put another one in front of her and then she'd say another phrase. He'd write it down because the saving symbols are phrases. He'd write it down on the back of the card and he'd put that card aside and this went on for the entire day and uh it is said you know in the notes that he uh, he um that this was done in one day in san diego and that means um <clears throat> excuse me if they did it in over the course of about eight hours it means that uh elsie saw and mark edmund jones wrote down a degree every minute and a half for for the eight hours every minute and a half so it was Dane Rajah who worked it out, I believe. So um, that's mind-boggling in itself, especially as she was uh, crippled with arthritis. So here's getting to the nub of the story. I really wanted to have that in there so that you understand the magnitude of what I'm saying. Uh, she was a, uh, an orphan. Uh, everybody around her died very early on in her life, um, including um, her guardian, her mother, her mother died first and then her father before she was the age of seven. Her sister died, her grandmother died and then she was awarded guardianship to her step-great-uncle uh, who wasn't even a relation. He'd already, he'd murdered someone in the street and, and he was rotting uh, Elsie's um, pension. This is when she was really little and he, uh, he murdered his wife in her bed his wife was 12 years his senior and he wanted to run away with his 22-year-old girlfriend who had two children. So while I, why I'm describing all of that is because Elsie had an enormous amount of loss and also um, she, she was shipped off to the Home for the Incurable, the Bethesda Home uh, for the Incurable, the Bethesda Hospital and Home for the Incurable in St. Louis. She was born in southern Illinois in um, 1887 on September 3 to be exact. So she was in the home for the uh, incurable. Meanwhile, her great step-uncle, who was her guardian, um, murdered his wife, uh, shot her in the back of the head. And, um, and then uh, this wonderful, I, I had this terrible feeling about this guy who was her uh, original guardian, even though his name was Daniel Gott. And Gott, of course, is German for God. Anyway, I had this terrible feeling when I first saw his name, I just sort of recoiled. I have some very interesting uh, responses to the Elsie Wheeler story and I've, and I've spent years and years and years researching her life. Her sister, who was older, had married this wonderful man. I know he was wonderful. Everything about him sparks wonderful. Um, Henry Wakeford. And Henry Wakeford uh, was uh, the postmaster at Norris City in southern Illinois where Elsie was born. And, um, of course, St. Louis is in Missouri, which is the next day on. But um, when I visited Norris City, I was looking for Elsie. I've spent years looking for Elsie, who's been, who passed away in 1938. Um, was it 38 or 39? I do know. It's, um, yes, 1938, November 26, 1938, she passed away at the age of 50, I think she was 51 and two months or something. Yes, she was. So, um, yes, yeah, so I remember in Norris City, standing in the street, I knew nothing about Elsie. I hadn't been able to find anything out at this time. I, I was just gathering the, the initial facts and I was standing in the street and uh, I was standing looking at this very big post office in Norris City. It's a really big building. 
Norris City is a bit of a ghost town now. Not much happens there. They stop the railroad and, you know, I think they grow soybeans and corn there and that's about it. And there's a lot of rusty hull, hulks of cars and silos. It's not a particularly attractive part of uh, Illinois, that's for sure. It feels very dead. I was standing there looking at this enormous post office. I was fascinated by it. And there was no reason for me to be, except I thought, well, Elsie's parents probably went in and out of that post office because, you know, it had the date on the front of it and it was predated when Elsie was born. So um, I remember standing there and being quite taken by the post office. Years later, I learned that her second guardian was Henry Wakeford, who was the postmaster in Norris City. So he was literally the postmaster. So Elsie was about 12. I have to get some of these dates together, but it doesn't really matter. Elsie was in the home for the incurable still. She was in there for almost 30 years in St. Louis. And uh, Henry Wakeford ended up having a, a, a duel on the street in Carmi, which is the, you know, the, more, the bigger town. It's, oh, I think it's about 10 minutes drive away or something from Norris City. He ended up having a duel on the street with the marshal, well, yeah, the deputy. No, the marshal. He was called the marshal. That's right. And uh, they shot each other and they both died. There was an argument that started in the, in the hotel there. I haven't been able to find out what that was about. But certainly Henry Wakeford died. And I think that, that felt like a terrible tragedy to me. I don't know how Elsie could have coped with all this uh, loss that she had in her life. I think by the time that happened she was uh, nearing 18 or something and I think, uh, you know, she didn't, she didn't have, I, don't, I do not believe she had another guardian. I believe that uh, that was, uh, you know, she started to look after her own affairs. She was still in the home for the incurable. She went in there about um, <clears throat> 1893 or 94. She went in and she came out in 1923, I believe, and then she made her way to California. So she made her way to California and somehow or another she met um, Mark Edmund Jones, the astrologer. And Mark Edmund Jones was from St. Louis. So I don't know whether they met in St. Louis or they met in California. My feeling is they met in California, but I, don't, I have no way of knowing that at this point. I might still find that out. I certainly have found out a lot about Elsie. So there was Elsie living in uh, California and she was a spiritualist medium and that's what she did. She, um, she received messages from the other side and she gave Bible lessons and, um, and readings. She advertised every week in the uh, San Diego uh, Union and the Tribune. I think they're two separate papers if I remember right. I have seen a lot of the ads uh, on Microfish and on the internet on this subscription thing that I have for uh, old newspapers. So I've seen a lot of her advertisements and, um, and uh, it's interesting because her phone number was prefaced with the word Hill. Her, gra her mother's maiden name was Louisa Hill. That blew my mind a bit. When I was in, in, uh, in uh, Norris City looking for Elsie, this is years ago, not that many years ago, it was like 10 years ago or something or eight years ago. Um, I saw her name written down, uh, her mother's name, her mother's maiden name, and it said L Hill. So I'm standing there looking at my name on this uh, uh, record. Then I wondered also, you know, I was obviously I wanted to find out more about her family, and now I've found out enormous amounts about her family, and I've done a lot of research on it, as I've said. 
uh, through Ancestry.com, but also through my, uh, my travels and uh, having other people look up our records for me. Uh, when I gave birth to my daughter in 1983, we called her Jessica Helen Hill, and at the time I, I had no idea why we were calling her Helen. Now, the midwife who delivered Jess uh, was named Helen, but I knew that wasn't the reason we were naming her Helen. Helen was just so strong in my mind, and, um, and uh, so I said to, my, um, uh, to uh, Jess's father, Richard, I said, one day we're going to know why we called her Helen, because it, I just knew it wasn't about the, the midwife. So here I am in southern Illinois, and I'm looking at these records, and I find out that Elsie's uh, maternal grandmother's name was Helen Hill. So that was another penny that dropped. Clang. Wow. Okay. And then um, uh, I found out that Elsie lived with a man in 1925, from, from 1923, I believe. On and off, she lived with this man in San Diego. They mostly shared a house, but every now and then... Um, They'd live separately and then they'd come back together. They are interred together in Sa in San Diego. They're plaques sitting next to each other, which indicates that they obviously had quite a relationship. In those days, people didn't live together. Um, you know, if they weren't married. He was a divorcee. He was 15 years older than her and she was confined to a wheelchair. From what I've been able to ascertain, she was confined to a wheelchair from the age of three with rheumatoid arthritis, and that's why she was in the home for the incurable. I've also been able to ascertain that she's had, uh, she had numerous um, uh, operations when she was very little. So I'm not sure what that is about. I haven't found out exactly what that is about. I do know that her first guardian, Daniel Gott, who I never liked, he... Um, I had something really, he made my skin crawl. Um, he uh, used to rot Elsie's pension, take her money, and he also made false claims uh, for operations that they were never charged for. She, he would charge the government. Anyway, so all of that. So, yes, it, you know, and by the time she did the saving symbols, um, I think she was finding it hard to use her hands from what I could gather. And uh, shortly after that, uh, you know, soon after 1925, she, she wouldn't have even been able to hold her head up properly, you know. But she was a woman of great spirit and great optimism and such a wonderful woman. What's uh, amazing to me is this man uh, that she lived with in San Diego, his name is, um, was... Frank Baxter. When I was seven, my mother uh, married for the second time and she married a man called Ian Baxter. And when I was 10, I asked my mother if I could change my name to Linda Baxter. Uh, my mother said that, you know, your father might object or it might be too hard or something. And, you know, and it wasn't taken very seriously. And I, and I don't think I took it very seriously either. But I remember very clearly wanting to change my name to Baxter. So here was Elsie Wheeler living with a man called um, Frank Baxter. My mother, uh, my mother's uh, marriage ended with Ian Baxter, and then she's now she's married to a man called Frank. <laughs> so, and it goes on like that. I, I have a lot of those things and uh, correspondences between myself and Elsie. Um, I have just about every time I do a lecture, I have people coming up to me saying, "You were Elsie in a past life," and people saying, "Elsie's standing next to you right now," or, you know. Um, you know, Elsie is beside you, like, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and uh, uh, to be honest, I, I don't get into the glamour of any of that. I mean, it might be true. I have no way of knowing. Um, and my philosophy around all of that is that, well, apart from it being impossible to know, 
I sort of think that, you know, past lives, the way that a lot of people look at past lives might not be true. Um, what I mean by that is that there might not be credence in, in uh, the, the linear uh, thing of time. Uh, you know, Elsie Wheeler might be uh, experiencing her life concurrently with mine. Who knows? You know, we've, we live in this amazing holographic universe, which is being shown to me all the time and it's just continually blowing my mind uh continually every day uh, it's just like the magic that we live in is quite extraordinary on so many levels so i don't get into the glamour of yes i was elsie wheeler in a past life or even been that concerned about that story i am amazed though and delighted by the uh, the confluence of things that happen around that there are so many that i uh, you know it would take me all day to keep telling you all these stories that have come up for me that have um you know and here i am you know linda hill who lives in in uh australia you know it's sort of like whoa because that's a bit left of center you know it's not like i live in the states or you know or come from the states so um Yes, yeah, so to get on with the story, and there is a little bit of a scary bit, it's, it's not yet, but um, <laughs> I was going to go straight into the scary bits, but, you know, I decided that I should really tell this story a bit longer, and I, I just go where my mind takes me nowadays. I just follow my intuition and keep talking, you know, when, it, when I feel like there's more to be said. So Elsie Willer was doing spiritualist medium work and doing these sort of readings and stuff. Anyway... I went to, um, oh, that's right, I was in uh, Tucson. Now, I don't remember the exact uh, uh, chronology of all of this, although I could probably get it all together if I really researched into it, but uh, I was staying with a, a girlfriend, and I, and I, I think I should uh, leave out the names of my friends uh, who come up in this story because it's going to involve the exorcist, the story of the exorcist, and I, and I, and I feel like not bringing that up. I, I feel like being a bit anonymous about all this um, especially as I haven't asked permission to use their names in this story. Anyway, uh, a, a close friend of mine who's an astrologer who lives in Tucson uh, had a, a girlfriend visit, and that was really funny because all three of us shared our first and second names, meaning our first and, and middle names. All three of us shared our first and middle names. Uh, that's too hard to explain now, and then I'd give away the names, so I'm not going to do that. But um, So that was a bit weird. So, so anyway, there was the three of us sitting there, and we decided to have a seance. It's not something I do a lot, and I don't want to alarm you. I'm not someone who's going to get into, you know, being possessed and devils coming and knocking on my door. Um, but uh, we did do this seance, and, and I feel to mention this because it's part of the story. We did a lot of stuff around uh, other personal st uh, stories uh, with the other the two who were doing the, the seance with me. And, and then I asked about Elsie Wheeler. Towards the end of the seance, I said, you know... Um, who was there, and it was confirmed it was said to be Elsie. And I, um, I forget how I actually said it. I've got the recording somewhere. I should get it out. But um, I asked about my relationship. That's right. I asked about my relationship to Elsie. I asked whether I was her in a past life or something along those lines. And then the words were spelt out U, as in the letter U, and then the letter R, and then the letter M, and then the letter E. And so we were writing down what we were getting. And it wrote down, you are me. And I mean, I just like, I shot out of my chair. I got to say, all the hair was standing up and, you know, everywhere. And, uh, you know, and, and whether this is just a parlor game or something silly or whatever it is, it really did make me go, oh my God, 
you know, um, there's no way for me to know if that was Elsie coming through there or there was some, you know, could have been some psychic trick. Who knows? I don't know. Certainly, um, there was something happening there. So, um, so that's a little bit about that. And then, um, years later, um, I think it was a couple of years later, I went to St. Louis and I was doing a, um, a workshop there. And I was staying with uh, quite a prominent uh, astrologer from St. Louis, and she's just a lovely, lovely, lovely woman. And uh, I was staying with her, and um, and she had a friend who was a doctor who was uh, living downstairs in her basement, who was um, come across difficult times, and I uh, was living in this very mouldy. I, I wouldn't have wanted to live down there. Quite a mouldy basement. Um, Anyway, uh, this, uh, this woman was a doctor, and I don't want to go into too many of the details there. I'll leave out a bit more of the personal details, but this woman said to me that she's no longer practicing as a doctor, but she said, I've got an old beat-up car, but if you'd like, I can take you around San Diego, and um, uh, San Diego, St. Louis. Uh, where would you like to visit? Is there a particular place that you'd like to go and see? Because, you know, I, I, I have spare time. And I said, yes, there is. I'd really like to go where the home, uh, the home for the incurable was. I said, I've got the address. At that stage, I hadn't Googled it much. And I don't think that, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't really looked to see terribly much or didn't really understand it terribly well. Uh, but I handed her the address. I had it written down on a piece of paper. I think it's 3695 or something, Vista Street. I do know. I was looking at it earlier on the internet. Um... The details aren't that important, of course, but anyway, so I handed this woman this uh, piece of paper and I said, I'd, I'd really like to go where this site is, wherever this address is, and I'd like to spend a few minutes there and soak up the energy there. And, and this woman said, I know this address. And I said, oh, do you? How amazing. And she said, that's where I studied medicine. So that was like, oh, really? She said, yeah, I spent years there. So that was uh, a little bit like, uh, you know, uh, extremely strange. So this was the home for the incurable where Elsie was sent from southern Illinois to be in uh, St. Louis, Missouri when she was very young and spent about 30 years there. You can imagine what the home for the incurable would have been like in those early days of the 20th century. It would have been like really, ugh. You know, and of course she would have been surrounded by people who were dying, people of all ages, um, who would have been in all sorts of, you know, states of decay, I imagine, because it was the home for the incurable. So, um, and this, this woman, this doctor, she said to me, um, oh, I know that building. And she said, in fact, underneath that building, there's all these tunnels. She said, but well, I can't take you down the tunnels. She said, I used to, I've been down in the tunnels. She said, but that was in the days when I had a pass. I could stick my pass in the in the door and I could get through all these different doors she said I can't do that now because I can just take you where the public go and I went well that's perfectly fine with me I can't wait so we went off to the and it was St. Louis uh, University um, uh, training hospital medical hospital um, it's the St. Louis University hospital anyway so um we went and we stood there and we walked around in the hospital and I was getting chills. Now, it's not the same building anymore. You know, as far as I could tell, uh, well, I know that they pulled down the home for the uh, incurable and then they built another building there, which I believe, in, uh, you know, because um, Elsie left there in 1923. So sometime after 1923, they pulled down the building she was in. Then they built another building and then they pulled that one down and then they built the St. Louis uh, University Hospital. I think. Anyway, 
Um, I think that there might have been some of the, the wings still left. These are things I really want to ascertain. I, I really wanted to get more of a handle on this, but these are just details. It's not that important. But uh, when we, we walked outside um, and, uh, oh, no, I have to go back in time. I have to go back in time because this brings a punchline that really brings shivers. This is the bit where it gets a bit strange. Sometime before I went to St. Louis, I was up at uh, Katoomba. And I was driving along in my car and it occurred to me to ask to be able to do something as amazing as Elsie Wheeler did. It just came into my mind. I thought, wow, what she did was so huge in bringing forth these Sabian symbols, which is such a gift. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to do something as big, so as amazing, along similar lines, but not the same thing, you know, I mean, obviously you want to do something different. Um, and so that's what I was thinking as I drove along in Katoomba, up in the Blue Mountains, in this rarefied atmosphere that's up there, in this, uh, in this place that uh, I sometimes got visitations in my house, you know. So I'm driving along the road, and I put out a request, and I said, can you tell me if you've heard me that this is going to come true you know that have you heard me have you heard my request and I said but please I don't want dead dead people at the end of my bed you know I made a bit of a joke as I'm driving along by myself in the blue mountains and um meanwhile I'd ordered a doorbell from um Hong Kong through eBay you know the perils of you know ordering something through eBay without uh, examining it yourself. It, it arrived and it was extremely loud and it didn't have a volume switch on it, and it was a jangly, horrible-sounding doorbell. Anyway, I got it. Uh, you know, I got it stuck on the front of my house. I thought, oh well, I'll put it on there because if I'm up the garden doing something, if somebody comes to visit, I will hear them because it's so loud and awful. Um, I thought, well, I will hear them, and I didn't get many visitors, so it wasn't going to be uh, such a terrible fright for the neighbours when it when the doorbell went off. So, assuming it wasn't going to go off very often. <clears throat> well, straight after I asked for a sign that I'd been heard the doorbell started going off at all different irregular hours. It was a bit weird, you know, the first time it went off, I went to the front door and I went, ah, oh, oh, there's no one there. Okay. Well, that's weird. Might have been the wind or something. Might have been a kid playing pranks. I don't know. Anyway, so then I went to the door again. Again, nobody there. Okay. This happened about five times and I thought, oh, this is getting a bit irritating. Meanwhile, and I can, I feel certain that I can mention Jessica Adams here, you know, I'm not mentioning the other names because it all gets a bit weird with the exorcist sort of story. Um, I, um, I, uh, yeah, I, I had Jessica Adams, who's a, you know, fabulous astrologer. She came for dinner. It was Friday night in my little house in Katoomba. I went and got Jessica and brought her to my house. We had a nice dinner and we had a couple of bottles of wine and, you know, I think we drank about one and a half bottles of wine. It was fine over the several hours and uh, about 9 o'clock, well, 9.30 it was, I started telling Jessica about the story about the doorbell. Well, it's like um, I said to Jessica in my naivety, I said, do you think it's a sign that, they, that they've heard me, that whoever it is has heard me? And she said, well, what do you think, Linda? Goodness sake. And, uh, <laughs> and um Right when we were talking about that, that instant the doorbell went off. It hadn't gone off for like a day or something. It wasn't like it was going off every hour. 
So the hair sort of stood up in the back of my neck and I went, oh my God. And it was one of those really misty nights in the mountains and, and um, a little bit of, um, uh, it was heavy mist and it looked like it was raining, you know, but it was just this heavy mist with a little tiny shower of rain through it. I said to Jessica, well, it's 9.30 on a Friday night. There might actually be someone at the front door. I better go and check. And so I went out to the front door and there was no one there. But I stood on the stoop, you know, I went out on the little landing there and looked out at the street. And there was no lights on at the, in the front of my house. I'd turn them off. But I could see across the road to where the school is, across the road from my place, and uh, there was this um, mist coming down and there was a lamppost and it looked exactly to me, this is what I got in that moment, like my hair just stood on end that feeling of the exorcist to so the, the photograph that's used in the, um, in the trailer uh, and, the, and the, hmm, it's often used when they advertise the exorcist, the movie. Uh, it's a man walking along. It's the doctor or, or, or the priest. I can't remember exactly. I think it might be the priest. I'm no expert on the, on the exorcist movie, I can tell you. Um, but, uh, you know, he's walking along the street. There's a lamppost above him and there's this light rain or heavy mist and that's like this very atmospheric picture that they put on with the exorcist. So I'm looking across the street and I'm going, whoa, that feels like that scene out of the exorcist across the street. Anyway, so I went, okay, fair enough. So I shut the front door, no one there, went back to Jessica and I, uh, you know, we finished, our, we, we finished our visit and I took Jessica back to where she was staying. And then I drove home and I'm going, no, everything's fine. There's nothing weird going on. Don't be worried. Because I was getting the funny creepy crawly skin thing going on in the house quite often anyway I went to bed and around four o'clock that morning um I sat up in bed and there's a thing about me I've always been like this where I'm either asleep or I'm awake I'm not one of those people that you know sleepwalks or is not sure whether I'm asleep or awake I was totally awake I was totally compass mentis I sat up in bed like my back rigid and I just sat there and I went oh okay and then I felt this presence moving up the street this is the scary bit you can turn off now if you don't like these sort of stories this presence started to move up the street and it was coming up the street it was like this weird energy presence and it was coming up the street and it swept up the street and it swept into my front um where my front door is the little landing there and my hair was just standing on end. I was just sitting there going, whoa, what's this? It felt so strong. And then the next second, the doorbell went off. Well, I almost rocketed out of bed. But, I mean, I, I didn't get out of bed, but I almost lifted vertically, as you might imagine. So I thought, there's no one at the front door, Linda. Don't be afraid. There's just, just, it's just a message or, you know, it could be a short in the battery. Who knows? But anyway, I just thought, you know, just lay back down and go back to sleep. Now, normally I would lay awake after my heart starter like that. I can tell you, it, right, my heart was going a million miles an hour. Um, but I did go back to sleep and I wasn't worried and I wasn't nervous. But I did wake up the next morning going, wow, how amazing I went back to sleep. Because after such a start, you know, I might have ended up staying awake, you know, from four o'clock on. But no, went back to sleep. 
what I did was I pulled the batteries out of the freaking doorbell. I was like, no, you're not doing that anymore. It's like, you know, you've told me that you've heard what I've said. So I'm taking the batteries out of the doorbell and, uh, and in fact, took the guts out of the doorbell. I think the actual little ringer is still on the front door. I must, make, I must check next time I go up. I think I've sort of avoided even looking at it. But um, certainly the doorbell does not work anymore. So I'm in St. St. Louis for this visit and to do this workshop. And I'm with this woman who was, you know, was a a medical doctor who had for many years studied and and worked actually on those premises where um, Elsie Wheeler was in the home for the incurable. It's the same block of land that Elsie Wheeler was on. And this woman who was, you know, this this medical doctor who who was staying in my friend's um, cellar, she didn't. She wasn't an astrologer. She wasn't into the astrology. She didn't know what the Sabian symbols were. So you know, it's like you, you quite often have these moments where you're having the moments by yourself. You know, it's sort of like, oh my god. Anyway, she she took me outside. She said, she said, there's something I want to show you. She said, um, see that that level up there, that floor up there. And I went, yes. And she said, that's where the scene from The Exorcist was. And I went, what? And she said, <laughs> I remember this really well. She said. The exorcist, the, the the story from the exorcist actually happened in St. Louis, and it was a boy, not a girl, and he was in this hospital, and and that's the that's the wing up there, and see that window, something or other from the corner or something, it was in there, and so I just stood there going, oh my god you can imagine it was sort of like you're kidding you know because elsie wheeler of course did this amazing wonderful thing you know was in the home for the incurable for all these years with people dying left right and center in, in her life in her own private life but also in her private life in the home for the incurable and then goes on to be this brilliant and amazing and compassionate and, and light giving um uh, spiritualist medium um and for her to have been 30 years on this exact same spot that the actual uh, scene of the exorcist happened because what the story of the exorcist was was that uh, the person, the, the boy, he was from Maryland, from Washington, um, D.C., from Maryland, and uh, his uh, grandmother visited him from St. Louis, and they had a Ouija board session, and all these negative energies came in, and um, and he started having these uh, soon after that had this seance session, he started to be, well, for the want of a better word, possessed. And uh, the family, of course, were freaking out and they sought uh, help and uh, the, the, the boy was sent to St. Louis where it was said that the, um, uh, there was help there from the Catholic Church, from the Jesuits, I believe. I'm, again, I'm no expert on all this, but I'm going to find out more about it. Um, you know, we're uh, set about doing this exorcism. Um, he uh, was moved from St. Louis University, uh, um, the St. Louis University building to another uh, building, which was the Alexian Brothers, which was in South St. Louis. Um, so he wasn't at the he wasn't at, at this particular place for the entire time. I think it was like for a couple of weeks or something. The story goes on for a few months, I think, in St. Louis. And, you know, and then, of course, in the movie, they dramatise this whole thing with Linda Blair, with her, you know, being a, a girl, and, you know, the whole story was, you know, quite different with the head turning around in the green uh, stuff. But apparently, you know, he did vomit, and apparently a lot of the stories are very similar of what happened. He went back to his family, and, and they believed that it was all settled down. But uh, apparently, um, the, the letters, the words uh, St. Louis um, were carved in his chest, his mother saw the word St. Louis carved in the young boy's chest. 
There was also um, the word exit was on his chest as well during the exorcism. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, like the mark of the beast or something. Anyway, um, so you can see, you know, this is like quite the story. I mean, I, yes, yesterday, this was coming into my head really strongly for no apparent reason. There was no, well, I can't remember any trigger. Yesterday, um, the, um, the sun was on the, um, the large cross lying on rocks surrounded by sea and mist. Neptune has been on that degree for some months. Over the last you know year or two, it's been on that, that degree quite a lot. Um, that is six plus of Pisces, which makes it Pisces seven in the Sabian symbols. So, the, you know, the, the cross lying on rocks surrounded by sea and mist can talk about, um, you know, the dashing of hopes, you know, um, religion gone wrong. You know, it can be like, you know, religion, you know, whether it's, it can be failing or it can be the need to revive your sense of religion and, and get back into your, uh, your sense of what religion means for you, you know, to, to, to haul that cross back up so it's not dashed on the rocks, you know. And um, so um, yesterday the sun was on that degree and, and this exorcist story was really coming to my head, really coming to my head. I was remembering those events, you know, how I'd got the, the doorbell, you know, and um, how I was in St. Louis and the whole thing. I went to bed last night and I was thinking, you know, I think I need to tell this story about the exorcism and the exorcist because that's too weird that Elsie Wheeler, on the same block of land, now I must say that Elsie Wheeler left... St. Louis and she left the home for the incurable in 1923 and the thing with the exorcism didn't happen until 1949. It doesn't matter, it's still on the exact same block of land and um, anyway uh, I went to bed thinking well should I tell this story I don't know. People might you know say to me oh you shouldn't be doing you know seances or you shouldn't be looking at this sort of stuff it's all a bit the dark side. Well I, I feel totally protected and I, I don't think anything weird's going to happen to me. I actually feel that perhaps I'm about to launch into something that could be uh, extremely amazing. Maybe it's that thing I asked for, you know, driving along in the car. Who knows? I don't know. I don't even know what I asked for. I asked to be able to do something equally as amazing as uh, Elsie. So I went to bed last night here in Avalon, Avalon Beach, Sydney, Australia, thinking about The Exorcist. I woke up this morning and I went on Facebook and, um, and this lovely woman, Eliza, Eliza Einhorn, I think that's how you say her name, I've never heard it. And, um, anyway, she is on Facebook and she posted something about Moon Pluto people and the exorcist. So I'm sitting there this morning looking at the words the exorcist and I went to her blog and it was talking about um, Moon Pluto and the need to purge, you know, and, and dark energies and the whole thing. And I'm just looking at it and she's talking about the, you know, briefly about the movie The Exorcist and I'm just there going, oh my God, that is bizarre. Really, really bizarre. And so I thought it was almost like I decided I wasn't really going to talk about all this um, when I went to bed, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know whether to bring all this up. I think doing an audio is better than writing it because not only does do it, you know, writing it all down, it would have taken me hours to write all this. You know, I speak really far quickly and, uh, and my, you know, my mind, uh, you know, you know, typing it all up and, you know, it's, it's, you know, a long time to do all that. But I thought, and you know, so I can have you know the nuance in my voice and and explaining things much better when it, when you use the voice. So I thought, well, I don't know, I'll see. And then of course, when I saw Eliza's blog about Moon Pluto and the Exorcist, well, you see, I'm Moon Pluto. My my Moon and my Pluto are exactly square. 
and so is my sun. I have a sun moon opposition. I was born on the full moon. I'm a Scorpio born on the full moon with a T square to Pluto in the eighth house. And so all of the, you know, the dark side stuff really intrigues me, but I don't feel um, confronted by it. I don't feel threatened by it. I don't feel like anything bad's going to ever happen to me. I'm not going to start with my head spinning around with green vomit coming out. So I want you all to, um, who might be a bit concerned about that, to be reassured that that's uh, extremely unlikely. Well, it's never going to happen. Um, so um, then I, I did a couple of readings today and... Um, and I thought uh, I was going to send one of the readings off to someone and I was being a bit held up with sending the reading out because the way that I sent it out, anyway, this is a lot, lot of detail that you don't really need to know, but I was pausing and I was thinking, now, am I going to do this recording? I feel like doing this recording. I feel like speaking about it. And the minute that I did that, my friend from St. Louis, who I haven't heard of or seen uh, of, you know, for years and years and years. In fact, she, you know, sadly, she passed away. I think it was 2011. She passed away. My lovely, lovely friend that I stayed with in St. Louis, who was the astrologer, she'd passed away. And every blue moon, it might be every six months or once a year or something, I will get a spam message from her email with her name. First, and last name from her her email address well I'm sitting here I'm just wondering whether I should do this recording about the um, the exorcist thing and <laughs> this email comes in honestly I swear to God it might have been nine months or a year since I, I've had one um, and interestingly I thought I'm gonna really have a look at this it had a first and a last name there but it wasn't her email address that used her name but it was some other email address. I don't know what's going on there, but it had her first and last names. So I'm staring at that going, I think this is a sign. I think I need to do this audio recording. Also, the fact that I'm doing it now means I can get, I'm getting it off my chest and I don't have to have it running around in my head about all that. But in my researches today, I was really looking at stuff to do with the exorcist this morning about the true story of the exorcist. And there were so many correlations with weird stories that it just blew my mind. But the fact that right on that one block of land in Vista, in Vista, Vista Place or Vista Street, I think it's Vista Street, I do know, but I've, I've put it out of my mind for this point, um, where St. Louis uh, University Hospital is, that's got to have some pretty amazing energy in that block of land there or that's just really, you know, to have this story to come out of there. I guess it can be, you know, good prevailing over evil. I don't, I don't know. Um, certainly uh, the stories are amazing. So I, uh, at, at very little cost, it was only like $7 I decided to do it, um, I've downloaded uh, the diaries of the exorcism and, um, that were taken by the uh, Jesuit priests. One of the major priests that was involved with that, his, his name was Bishop. I think that's uh, extraordinary uh, because we actually have a Jesuit, uh, we have an ex-Jesuit as our Prime Minister in Australia and he's got two members of Cabinet, both named Bishop. And, and so I see the name Bishop all the time and there's been a lot of talk about him. He was, uh, Tony Abbott was going to be a Jesuit priest, but that's a little bit off to the side. But it's still part of that whole thing where I just go, my life is an incredible story. I mean, everybody's life is, but it's just that this is so... 
It's just really, really uh, enormous. And my uh, progressed uh, Mercury, see, my readings have really taken off. I, the, when I do a reading now, it's like, wow, <laughs> I must say, uh, the things that are going on for me in my progressed chart are extraordinary. My progressed Mercury is on the fifth degree of Aquarius, and the Sabian symbol for that is a council of ancestors have been called to guide a man. That's Aquarius 5. Um, my progressed Venus is on uh, a woman reading tea leaves. Um, my progressed Mars is on, um, which is a um, Capricorn, it's Capricorn 29. My progressed Mars is on um, 19 degrees, is it 9 or 19? Uh, 19 degrees of Scorpio which is um, a parrot listening to a conversation and repeating it you know which is about channeling it's about you know being a translator for messages it's about taking things that you hear and translating it so others can um, understand I mean it means a lot of it can also mean gossip of course it can also mean things getting out of hand but I don't, I'm not finding that happening in my life but you know it's like uh, my um, the saving symbol for my son is my, my the saving symbol for my son. My son has just gone into Aquarius, and it's uh, it's on the um, might have actually just gone off this degree. Which it's been on the old Adobe Mission in California, and that's the old Adobe Missions are right where Elsie Wheeler lived in California. She lived in Mission Hill, and I went to Mission Hill, you know, the year before last, and I was you know really intent on living in San Diego. But that's another long story. I'm back in Australia. It didn't quite work out. I'm not sure. I, you know, I got Elsie's will while I was in San Diego and uh, part of me just went, oh, okay. The, the urge to live in the States had fallen away. I mean, I certainly want to still visit, but the urge to live there, when I got Elsie's will, which I didn't need to go to the States to procure, um, but I did, um, when I got her will and I saw the story of her last days and what she had, and the wrapping up of her estate, I was able to leave San Diego and, and feel like I'd, I'd completed something. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed that story. Um, I guess it wasn't so uh, scary. Some people might have uh, left off thinking it was really scary, but some people do get really affected by these things and they feel like it, it clings to them a little bit. You know, I don't feel like that. I, I'm not in the least bit worried about my, my you know, little seance I had in, in Tucson where she said, you are me, or someone said, you are me. I'm not concerned about any of that. I actually think this is a huge story. And I'd really, really love it if someone um, picked it up. In fact, um, I don't know what could be done with it. I think that there's a major, uh, well, not necessarily major, but, that, you know, there could be a documentary in this, definitely a screenplay. I've got friends who are really encouraging me to um, write a screenplay about it. I've got friends who are encouraging me, encouraging me to write the book of Elsie's life, which is what I'd, I think, a book first, or at least, you know, you know 100 pages on Elsie. But, you know, I really need financial backing for that. Um, it's not something I can, I, ca I can't, I don't have the, I can't dedicate the time to that. I might end up doing a you fund me thing and, and uh, seeing how that goes. But anyway, I'm just talking at the end of this tape now. I'm just talking possibilities. But, um, yeah, so I hope you've enjoyed that. I'm going to upload this and uh, there's more to be said. Honestly, there is, so, there is so much more to this story. I mean, Elsie's life reads like a detective story. Um, the fact that, you know, 
her guardian, her second guardian, you know, shoots the, he's the postmaster and he shoots the marshal and the marshal shoots him in the street. I mean, talk about the Wild West, you know, and his, her previous guardian, you know, who had shot someone in the street years before, had killed someone, shot a man in the stomach, in the street, in southern Illinois. Why on earth Elsie's father would have left this great step, not even related, step great uncle, to be her guardian when he was obviously, a, you know, someone who'd murdered someone um, is beyond me. And also it points to the fact that Elsie's father must have known he was dying because he appointed... He appointed Daniel Gott as her guardian. Who t- he turned out to be a nightmare for her. I, it's just awful. And Henry Wakeford worked really hard to unseat Daniel Gott. It was only after Daniel Gott was put in jail that Henry Wakeford took over being uh, Elsie's uh, guardian. And then some years later, of course, he, he and the marshal shoot each other in the street. I mean, this is, you know, it's a huge story. And, um, and, you know, Elsie was just such a lovely, wonderful, kind, caring. I mean, the vibe that comes from Elsie and her years in San Diego where she did such fabulous work. She used to uh, go around, she used to be um, a regular at the outdoor sports club in San Diego in her later years. She used to get around, uh, the outdoor sports club was, um, oh, the indoor sports, I'm sorry, not outdoor indoor sports club was for handicapped people and she uh she uh would go around to these handicapped people in their wheelchairs she was in her wheelchair and she would say no matter how hard life your life gets oh getting a lot i don't normally get emotional about this wow this is really sweeping over me no matter how hard your life gets there's always something uh, to be grateful for and to live for wow Okay, Oof. so um, who is this woman, you know, a total, a champion for so many people. She was so kind and benevolent. The things that were written about her were glowing, and there's not that much written about her, I must say, but any time she was mentioned, her obituary, everything was just glowing about what a wonderful woman she was. Huh, wow. Thank you for listening. Bye for now.